When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Tyler Klang. And Scott, I want to start today with a question that I'm, I'm not sure whether we've asked each other on air. Okay. Have you ever ridden a passenger train? I have, but it was usually in a... Uh, it was only in... Um, you can't call it a demonstration, I guess. It was more like... Um, uh, you go and pay your you know twenty dollars, and they take you four or five miles down the road, and then you turn around and come back the same direction on the same track. Or I've I've done a um, a dinner train one time. That was oh, fun. cool! But the same idea, you know, they drive you five or six miles out, they park the train while you're eating, yeah, and then you drive back again. It's it's exciting, but um, I've never ridden across country like cross country on a train. How about you? Have you ever done that? I have never ridden Amtrak. I've never hopped a freight mm-hmm. car, a box car, or whatever. Yeah, uh, but I have ridden passenger trains before. My experience is very much the same. Uh, maybe even a little more touristy because you know when I was a kid, we. Uh, as a family traveled up to Chattanooga at times and the Chattanooga choo-choo of course is a thing. And that was really cool when I was a kid. Uh, I think I want to say there were a couple of other places in Tennessee that have sort of tourist trains. Was it Twitty City? I don't know if Twitty City was on that level, but (laughs) great memory. I can't, I can't forget Twitty City. I I can't. They were more focused on camels. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, Interestingly enough, my um, my dad used to tell this story about uh, some kind of tourist train thing that he and his friends went on as kids. And the way – keep in mind, this is a very different time, Scott. Okay. Uh, the way that train would work, its gimmick was that partway through, the train would stop and you would get robbed by like a band of uh, – Native tribes or something. Oh, well, this sounds like um, you know the, uh, the the amusement park rides. You know where you take the jungle ride through the uh, through the. You know, usually it's a boat 
when they would yeah, that. They'd take yeah. that ride through and you'd you'd approach an area that is known as, as hostile right. and they'd start shooting at you and you'd see, you know, the water would, would pop. You know, they, they would have something below the water surface that would make it look as if, if gunfire was going off around the boat and there'd be an alligator nearby and all kinds of treacherous things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the train thing is similar. Uh, where, you know, if you're, you're in an amusement park or maybe a zoo or something, they'll have a similar type of setup, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, it's still exciting for a kid, you know, like they think, oh my gosh, we're being, we're being robbed by, uh, you know, they want to get the safe that's on board, you know, that, right, that kind of right. thing. It's going to be a great train heist. Yeah. 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 That's exciting. And you know what? I, I would love to travel by train. My grandparents, took a uh, across Canada tour on a train, like an observation train. Oh, wow. And it was one of the greatest trips they had ever taken. It was much later in their life, and they took uh, this. And I think, I want to say that that was in conjunction with, at the end, a cruise to Alaska or something like that. It was this epic trip they took. Wow. And uh, they talked about that for the rest of their lives, how how just unbelievable the scenery was as they traveled across Canada on this train. Mm. It was, of course, meant for observation. It was a uh, you know train that had lots of windows, lots of seating that was specifically for taking in these vistas that, you know, most people really don't ever see in their whole life, really. Right, because here in North America, so Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, trains will travel through areas that are completely rural and in some cases pretty much wilderness, Mm -hmm. you know? Very rugged. Yeah, and you will have a chance to see things you had never seen before. We have, in previous episodes, explored the pros and cons, the uh, good and bad and the ugly about the state of passenger rail here in the U.S. Yes, we have. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad you were mentioning this right now because I I wanted to list uh, some of the other train topics that we have done in the past because I I have a list here. And I I was kind of surprised when I went through our RSS feed and just kind of did a search for train and see see what came up. Of course, you know, road trains comes up. That's not really a train. But it's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's those no- are those are the uh, those are the uh, Australian haulers, like rigs that will carry an insane amount of tractor tonnage behind them. Yeah, think about it like a like a truck that's uh, in the, the form of a train that's traveling across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, they're enormous, enormous trains. But that doesn't really count. So our tra- our true train topics. Yeah, like we have, on rail. Yeah, we have quite a few. And ending with the uh, the the trans you know the the uh, rail transportation per- personal transportation not personal but uh, public transportation yeah. I guess that you had just mentioned yeah. with Amtrak. But maglev trains in 2017. We did uh, London's train for the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was last year's kind of Halloween episode. Remember that? Fascinating. Uh, that was fascinating. I really liked that one. We did the Hobos, Tramps, and Bums episode in February of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Circus Trains, which was probably one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. One of, it's in a top. It's probably in the top ten. Uh, and I don't know if it was a particularly good show, but the topic was so interesting that I really liked <laughs> Circus Trains. It was, it was fun. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Um, <laughs> Uh, high-speed trains. We did that in September of 2009. And then, yeah. of course, we did the Amtrak story. Uh, back in 2011, and some people labeled our Amtrak story as a hit piece. Yes. And, and all we were doing was just telling them what a miserable failure the system is because it's just continually bleeding cash. It's it's not a moneymaker. It's, it's, it loses unbelievable amounts of money every single year, and I think that's still the case. I think that's still happening. And it's constantly being propped up and... and you know what? We we shouldn't go off on this uh, this 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 rail right now, Ben. Uh, you know what we should do? We should get on with today's topic because sure. you know if they want to go back and listen to the Amtrak story again, uh, please do. But you know we've we've heard all the uh, all the complaints about it, but it's it's honest to God, it's just the truth. Well, if I could say too, uh, it is the truth, 
But we're not I, – I don't think it's a hit piece. We would be remiss if we didn't point out the facts. Yeah. This is a nonfiction show mm-hmm. and we're big fans of rail. Uh, it is one of the backbones of this nation, the U.S., for sure. Oh, the railroads built the United States. Yeah, they built it and they're still super important and it just doesn't occur to a lot of people because, you know, maybe you can't see inside – those uh, you can't see inside those cars, and you don't know that they are hauling billions of dollars worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I will say that as long I'll go on record saying it: as long as Amtrak is always going to have to uh, a cede right of way to the owners of the freight rail yeah. outfits, yeah. it's just going to be really tough to. Yeah. To make a make a sustainable thing out of it, and and that was one of the major faults that we found with that is that is that uh, per, they don't tell you that uh, usually you know that's not something that's promoted really right. You just kind of have to know that if you're on a, a, a train for transportation, you're trying to get from uh, New York to L.A. or whatever you're trying to do. I don't know where the lines exactly you know start and end, but let's just say like Atlanta to D.C. Okay, there we Atlanta go. to D.C. Uh, and a freight train is on the same rail. Uh, you know, that train takes, takes precedence over mm. your train. So you have to pull off to the side and wait for that to pass. And sometimes that can take hours. If it stops, if it refuels, you know, whatever's going on. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, we can't really get too sure, much sure, on this, sure. on this topic, right. but there's 21,000 miles of rail available to Amtrak. And we are going to mention Amtrak in today's episode because Amtrak plays an important role in what we're going to call private varnishes. That's the question. Okay. If you are, if you've ever ridden a train or you know someone who has and you, you remember thinking, what a unique experience. I hate that I am beholden to these other governments or these other organizations mm-hmm. or to, you know, my circle of train hopper friends. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but if you have ever had the moment where you think, man, you know, I wish I could own my own train. Then, oh, buddy, have we got news for you? I don't think that's an uncommon thought either. I think people actually think that they want that. Uh, people, you know, people for whatever reason want different types of vehicles than what they have. People want fire engines. You want a fire engine, right? Yeah, I want a fire well, engine. I, I think I want a fire engine, but I don't have any use for a fire engine. People want, you know, um, a Mack truck. You know, for maybe maybe for ramming that stupid train that cuts through your town every day and, and, and spends you know too much time blocking the traffic or whatever. That's Don't what, do it, Mac. No, truck. My, that train will eat you alive. <laughs> my grandfather always he had a, lived in a small town. Always wanted a Mack truck to ram that stupid train that's constantly blocking the, the street. Mm-hmm. Um, people want um, their own airplane. Yeah, their own helicopters. People want their own cruise ship. They want, you know, uh, you know whether that's a a big pleasure ship. How about that? So that you know, um, they have a, a luxurious form of transportation on the water, but you don't realize the costs associated with that, and that's part of what we'll talk about today. But people can and do own rail cars. They own they own these uh, these private vehicles. It's a it's a single car typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there's a, an, a, another transition car that has to go along with certain designs that we'll talk about, but um, people do own classic, historic, antique, whatever you want to label them, vintage yeah. rail cars and use them as transportation for, you know, vacations. They they rent them out as uh, as as rental vehicles for people if they, you know, want to uh, experience something different, you know, a, a ride on the rails that um, you know, it's different than you know a plane trip across the nation. It's sure. completely different. I mean, when you're when you're go- flying overhead over the United States, it's a lot different than when you're uh, kind of being dragged through the United States and seeing <laughs> everything along the way. Ben, this um, 
and we'll get to it in just a second. But um, you know, we talk about private varnishes and what all that means and everything. But right. the idea behind why you might want to take a train instead of uh, you know driving or maybe instead of flying, mm-hmm. especially instead of flying, is kind of the idea behind why I like to drive so much. I'm just continually fascinated with what's over the next hill, what's around the next turn, mm-hmm. you know, what I, places that I haven't seen. I want to see something new all the time, and that's why I drive and drive and drive. I drive to new places, new roads. Uh, you know, that's kind of limiting, I guess. As well as it's super important to not uh, not not be entirely stuck on the interstate. Mm-hmm. You want to see the good stuff, you have to get out on state route whatever and then go for several miles. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, driving from, uh, you know, the north to the south on I-75 versus taking the back roads that take you through all the small towns along the way. Or the Lincoln Highway that goes, there we e- go. that goes east to west or west to east, whichever way you go. And that uh, is a memorable highway. That too. is an amazing highway and, uh, and has a lot of things to see, but a lot of people don't take that. They take the alternate route now, which mm-hmm. is a lot faster. And I understand the theory behind, you know, the, the faster trip and everything. But uh, if you really want the experience, take the Lincoln Highway. And the train, uh, for people who choose to ride rail, the, it's the same argument, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I want to see things that I would not ordinarily see. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, I think a lot of people are – excited about this you know american you know north americans i guess are getting excited about this i don't know about worldwide we, this doesn't really touch on worldwide um you know uh railway experience i guess i don't know if this happens around the world elsewhere but here in the united states there is an association that we want to tell you about that uh if you are excited about this type of thing or if you want to learn about this type of thing or even just be involved in any way whether it's you're considering owning a car you're considering just taking a trip on a car you just want you just want the excitement of knowing where they're going to be next and want to see them this association that you can join or you can at least, you know, kind of be familiar with is called uh, the American Association of Private Railroad Car Owners. Now, it's abbreviated AAPRCO. So if you go to AAPRCO.com, you can find all of the information that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there's just a ton of information there, more, way more than we're going to be able to touch on. One of the, uh, the most important things, I guess, right up front is if you <laughs> want to become familiar with some of the lingo that they use. And mm-hmm. I've said it twice or maybe three times already. Private varnish. Yeah, private varnish. So where does the word or the term private varnish come from? It comes from, you know, it's a bit of a prestigious term because it comes from the old days of rail when most of the cars or many cars would have wood, right? Wooden interiors, built of wood and and exteriors and exteriors. And they would need to be varnished uh, both to protect them from the elements, seal them in and to, you know, Make them look a little classy. Yeah, yeah. So they had all this high gloss varnish applied, mm-hmm. and uh, even though you know some of the the if you call them modern cars, I guess the ones from you know the nineteen forties, fifties, sixties, those cars that we'll talk, we'll talk about. Uh, are made of metal, you know, some of them are still painted metal, and they're still shiny and everything, but sure. uh, the private varnish term has just kind of stuck around for anything that it, it refers to passenger cars or equipment. So you'll see the term PV or private varnish used a lot of times in, in uh, uh, the discussions on this website, and also you'll find that uh, they have a magazine that's called uh, Private Varnish, and we'll, we'll talk about the magazine at some point as well, and you know, how to, how to get that magazine if you were a fan of that type of thing. And mm-hmm. yes, it's a, it's a print magazine. Uh, they're kind of old school with this, and I guess when you're thinking about you know the group that they're appealing to with this, sure, you know it's people traveling via train trying to recapture some of that um, 
nostalgia, I guess, mm-hmm. of the of the old way of travel. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that they would print, you know, print out a, a magazine, a glossy magazine, mm-hmm. for its members. You can only subscribe by Telegram. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's not true. That's not true. But it is true that we will delve into the history of the American Association of Private Railroad Car Owners after a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You know, everybody has their own wellness routine, their own approach to a healthy lifestyle. A lot of the most successful ones include herbs like ginger root, ashwagandha, and so many others. Nature's Way has been sourcing herbs like those for over 50 years. They understand that nature is the ultimate problem solver. So they're dedicated to providing plant-powered formulas to help people live healthier lives. Their herbs can support your health in so many ways. For instance, ginger root and slippery elm bark have both been used for centuries all over the world. Ginger root has traditionally been used to soothe occasional digestive upset and slippery elm bark to soothe the GI tract. St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support, which is something we can all use in our modern life. I mean, these herbs come from all over the world, but Nature's Way knows where the best ones grow. They test for potency in their state-of-the-art lab, and their scientists are experts in all things herbs. What's on the label is what's in your bottle, and what's in your bottle are the best herbs around. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. So this organization didn't just show up in the out of the blue, cut from whole cloth. No. Out of left field. I'm just adding terms at this point. <laughs> this uh, this yeah. actually, I was surprised, and this may surprise you as well, friends and neighbors. This organization is actually not that old. You know, I would have thought it started in, you know, maybe the 1800s or something. Mm-hmm. But as you can see in their own self, self-attested history, uh, from the early to mid-1960s, there were probably less than 12 privately owned passenger cars in the entirety of the United States. Yeah. Well, something happened though in the 1960s. In the 1960s, the late 1960s, uh, lots of passenger cars were being retired from service. So a lot of cars then became available, you know, and they weren't necessarily becoming available during wartime when we needed metal. 
Right. Now, I know that there were wars going on. I understand, you know, Vietnam was happening mm-hmm. around then. And, and uh, we're not talking about the type of uh, war like World War II where every bit of scrap metal that you could, you know, find should be brought in for recycling, you know, turned right. into a, uh, you know, a, uh, a piece of war implement of some kind, you know, whether that's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> bullets or tanks or whatever, airplanes. Plowshares the swords. It wasn't right? necessarily the case. These were a lot of times just being parked in uh, in storage lots and left mm-hmm. to decay, left to rot. So a lot of people were picking up these at this time in the late 1960s. And by 1971, uh, we had our Amtrak system in place. So the new national – it was new at the time. The new national rail passenger system was just beginning operation mm-hmm. in 1971. And from about 1971 until about 1975, uh, they began to see an increase in the number of private rail car owners on, on all these Amtrak lines. And of course, um, it was ad hoc for a little while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure it was. And there were, there were a lot of policies, of course, that began to become developed for, you know, these personal varnishes, uh, as far as, you know, the handling and operation of the vehicle on, on the lines and, you know, the, uh, the regulations, you know, they had to be, right. um, you know, they had to be inspected, uh, they had to meet certain standards. And, mm-hmm. of course, along with that then became, uh, or it became, I should say, some, some, uh, dispute, I suppose. There were some, um, issues that came up that would then somehow eliminate certain vehicles from being able to travel into certain cities or on certain lines. And, you know, the private owners thought, well, I just invested, you know, $100,000 in refurbishing this vehicle, this, this, this rail car at the time. And I don't know if that's the, an accurate dollar amount because that's sure not accurate for modern day. We'll, we'll tell you what that costs yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But let's say it's $100,000 that they threw in, you know, in the late 1960s mm-hmm. to refinish one or just even to get it back on the rail. Yeah. Um, you know they're they're now dealing with some new regulations around mid I'd say the mid to uh, early no I guess mid 1970s 76 77 somewhere around there that said you know you have to paint the car a certain way it has to be painted silver you know with red and uh, red and white stripes by the windows and uh, oh. I think that's an Amtrak something that they imposed on the on the uh, on the people that own personal varnishes. And it but, had to have the Amtrak logo oh it had the Amtrak logos logo so that's uh, that's something and, and you'll still find. Cars now that have that type of thing, but that kind of went, you know, the, the way of the dodo, I guess. You know, people decided that that wasn't something that they had to do. Uh, but that all came about by forming organizations like what we are talking about today. And they, they finally had some representation. They were strong enough as a group to rally together and say, hey, you know, if we want to continue with this hobby, with this, uh, and, it, and it is a hobby, really, when you get down to it. If we want to continue with this, um, Luxurious lifestyle of travel that we've uh, we've we've all appreciate and enjoy so much. We're going to need to band together. We're going to need to you know form an organization that allows us to have some kind of saying in these in these meetings and say you know we argue against it because of this. This is a ridiculous law because of this reason, or we feel that you need to change you know the way that you do things in order to accommodate us for this this reason. And I know that sounds like kind of a, a bully thing to do to push around you know these bigger organizations, but it's the only way to keep you know their interests going. Right, and so they had to have that kind of representation, and that's what they do. There's, you know, board of directors on this on this uh, committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, not on the committee on this uh, uh, for this association. Uh, they have different levels of of government, you know, within their own organization that you know have different. Uh, they have seats on boards that meet at meetings with Amtrak and other owners of rail, like like say the Canadian Rail Lines, and mm-hmm. uh, they they. Um, uh, they, they work together to create and to change existing and new laws. And they had to do this. They had to become their own representative body because they they looked – I believe in the 1970s, they looked around in the United States and in 
Canada to see if there were other organizations that already existed uh, that they could join. In 75, a couple of uh, private varnish owners from the East Coast went to Montreal and had a meeting with an organization there called TRAIN, which stood for Tourist Railway Association. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to see if the group could provide private varnish owners with a good way of solving the current problems they had with Amtrak and operating railroads. So not just the the stuff about signage and exterior painting, but also scheduling, right of way, all yeah. that all that jazz. Code of ethics. Code of ethics. Safety, which they have on their website. I mean mm-hmm. I mean the basic foundation of the code of, of uh, you know the code of ethics, I guess, would be um, safety, integrity, courtesy and common sense, as they say. Uh, but it but it does say that you know they, they adhere to the standards and uh, um, uh, they have, you know, there's there's responsibilities, I guess, that go along with with you know a code of conduct that goes along with owning one of these private varnishes and operating them. You know, and it's, of course, you expect the people that, um, you know, that, that rent your your varnish mm-hmm. uh, are supposed to adhere to that same code as well. So everybody has to kind of know the uh, the lay of the land and and uh, adhere to, you know, the standard code that goes along with owning and operating a rail vehicle, rail car. Right. Right. Exactly. And. Another example of how this need for self-organization became very important, without getting too, too bogged down in the in the history of the politics, uh, we just want to paint the contextual background here. The West Coast car owners were having problems of their own, mm-hmm. right? In 1976, just about a year after that Montreal meeting, Amtrak reps in San Francisco – told a private car owner that they were invoking a passenger car rule that gave railroads the option of refusing to accept an interchange any passenger car 40 years or older. Ah, okay. 40 years or older. That's, mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, – I mean a lot of these are much, much older than that. Right. Now, in the 1970s, I would still think that a lot of them that they're trying to uh, trying to refurbish, trying to use would be still a lot older than 40 years. And of course that would make people angry uh, because that's the allure of this, right, is that you're bringing right. something back. You're bringing back a vintage car. It's not something that's necessarily currently on the rails. That's not unique. That's not different in any way. People want the experience of something like uh, bringing back um, something from a bygone era. All right, right. And they were able to successfully – I mean they were talking to people in Congress, man. They were uh, consulting all sorts of lawyers, California lawmakers as well as U.S. senators and Amtrak as they tried to resolve this different – this ban. And eventually they got their way through and without going into too much of the history, you can read the entire blow-by-blow on the uh, AAPRCO website. Mm-hmm. Without getting into too much of it, I would just like to say, I think it's amazing, and I'm glad they're I'm glad they're around because all of this, all of these different hassles that they had to go through are ultimately now in 2017 very important. They set a precedent for the possibility of, again, I know how crazy it sounds, folks, the possibility of owning your own rail car. Yeah, this could have been snubbed out, you know, uh, 40 years ago. Yeah. And and luck, luckily it wasn't because if you see one of these, if you have an opportunity to see, 
any of these cars that, you know, as they travel through towns, and you can, you know, kind of figure out the schedule if you look at this website that we're talking about, because there's uh, travel opportunities, and you'll know where they're going from and to, mm-hmm. and, and the dates. So, you know, you might have a chance to check them out, or even, you know, check out um, one of the conventions that they have, which would probably be the, the best way to see these things. Oh, yeah. I bet a lot are on display, but um, they're amazing, amazing vehicles, really. I mean, it, it, you have to look at photographs in order to understand or to appreciate the level of detail that has gone into restoring some of these vehicles. We're talking about, you know, cars that are sometimes 85, 90 feet long. Uh, they are pristine as in, as in the way that they appeared in 1920. So it's looking at, it's looking at um, I guess, the equivalent of like a Concours-level car yeah. in, a train, in train form, and you're allowed to use that for the day as long as you charter it, as long as you pay for it. And, oh, that's the downside, I guess, is having to pay for it, right? Because it gets expensive. Yeah. And, uh, really expensive. So I don't think it's, um, it's anything out of, uh, out of boundary to say that – could this be called a billionaire's – uh, um, hobby, or is it maybe maybe millionaires? Yeah, maybe it's multi-millionaires. It's a little more investment than like buying a couple of dice and then throwing them in a street corner. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's pretty expensive. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah well, the actual, you know, the weird thing is though, Scott, the actual cost of a car itself, just as is, yeah, because so many are so old. It's surprisingly reasonable. Well, sure. You're buying what amounts to like an, a project car, right? Right. And then you're having to dump money into that. And you know how that works out, right? I mean, when you start adding up the parts and you know what you need to do to find the pieces that you need in order to make it authentic and to make it real and to have somebody design the interior because this is something that is not right. something you're going to do on your own typically. I doubt many people completely do a car on their own. They're an enormous project. This is kind of like having a yacht. Uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. It really is. I mean, so you're you're hiring out a lot of this. I mean, sure, you're able to do some of it, I would bet, but I bet a lot of people just simply write the checks once they buy it. I would imagine they probably consult with designers and stuff, but it's sort of like when we see all these customized RVs or customized uh, water watercraft, right? Mm, yeah, sure. We know that there are there are some people who do everything by themselves and maybe – Get a couple of buddies, but it's not it's not anywhere near the same level as let's say if you move into a house and you sit and you offer your buddies pizza and beer to help you paint the inside. You know, <laughs> I, I suppose it, it could be at that level, but a it's lot of nowhere the, near that level. Well, a lot of the ones that we see are not that way. I mean, I think you could probably operate some. Uh, sort of like on the edge, rickety version of this. You know, as long as it met inspections, uh, you know, as long as you're able to pass those inspections, sure, it doesn't necessarily have to be as opulent as some of the the ones that we see on the site. Now, a lot of them really are, though. A lot of them are pristine, perfect examples. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, or should I say, the train spike on the head when you said concours, because these are. Concor level vehicles in many senses. Yeah. Let's talk Turkey. Can we talk Turkey real quick? Yeah, I think yeah, I think we're headed in the same direction here. So yeah, let's do that. Okay. So Scott and I just said you might find the actual cars themselves at a surprisingly reasonable rate. Sure. Think to yourself before we tell you how much you would expect to pay for a sleeper car. A sleeper car. A okay. sleeper train car. Sure. So during the day, uh, you, you ha- it has uh, like multiple uses, right? Yeah. I mean, you're able to uh, sit and look out the windows. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's seating. At yeah. night, it converts into a sleeper car. So mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll have 
six, ten, twelve bedroom sets, like um, separate rooms, I guess. Right, right. That you can set up and fold, you know, fold away Murphy, not Murphy beds, but similar. You know, that yeah, idea. kind of like a bunk thing that yeah, also like those prison bunks, you know, that fold <laughs> into the walls, but but more comfy. Probably, hopefully, yeah, a little plush interior. You know, I mean, man, what would you what would you pay for a sleeper car? Your entry price is actually. $25,000, that's your starting point, which is insane because that's less than the average price of a new sedan. Okay. <laughs> Can you compare the two, though? I understand what you're doing. It's I completely see it. unfair to compare I, the two. I see what you're doing. Uh, now, with a, a rail car, you're, of course, you're limited to you know just where the rails are, right? Sure. Whereas a car, I guess you're limited to where the roads are. But... And the cars are not self-propelled. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So th- that's one thing we haven't even talked about. But, Not but, yet. Not okay, yet. We'll, we'll get to that. But $25,000, that's that's a shocking low number, really. Right. Because, so. I mean, you're talking about a giant vehicle mm-hmm. that has maybe 10 to 12 bedrooms in it. Right. Quite and possibly. You could, you could entertain a lot of people in there. You could rent that out, kind of mm-hmm. like a uh, uh, the same idea as a, you know, uh, Airbnb or something. You know, that's, <laughs> the, that's the idea, but it's mobile, right? Right. So um, – or vacation rental, well, however you want to look at it. It is – I think if you get one for twenty five grand, it is – uh, potentially mobile okay. is probably the word I would use <laughs> because that's just your first cost with these. Remember, Scott said it's a, it's very very similar to a project car. Scott, let's say you get one twenty five large. It's been road hard and put away wet. It's got some issues. What's a ballpark? Uh, what's a ballpark cost to to get this thing up to snuff? I unfortunately I know this number. Ballpark is about a half a million dollars. So you got a, a $25,000 investment and you're going to have to invest $500,000 in you know, uh, refurbishing this thing. That's just getting it back to where it was when it was originally manufactured. Yeah. And yeah. then if you want to go any steps beyond that, it's it, it's a much – then it becomes a billionaire hobby. And that's the, – the key here is that a lot of these cars – now, we said that you know they're, they're rentable. So a lot of people will, will buy them as an idea you – know, the idea, with the idea behind it that they're going to rent it out on the weekends when they're not using it and make money off of this thing. They will recoup some of the cost because there's other costs involved with this too. There's, there's, uh, there's prices to – well, charges associated with – Parking a car overnight, you know, at a rail station, uh-huh. they're, char- they're just simply charges from hauling it from where it's based to where the trip needs to begin because, you know, you can't do that on its own. It's not powered on its own. You can't drag it there. Some- well, someone has to drag it there with a train, and you can imagine what that costs to uh, to rent something like that to do that. Um, there's a lot of extra costs that go, in, uh, go into this, but – Again, ben, as Ben says, $500,000 just to get it back to kind of the original condition. But a lot of people go way beyond mm-hmm. that. You know, a car that didn't have a bar initially right. and a, a lounge area, now it does. And or, what do you think that costs? Right. Or they want to uh, modify the windows or they – that that half a million there, that does factor in having to get it up to legal or government – Specifications, sure. But uh, you might or might not be. I don't know if everybody's as stubbornly thrifty as I am. You may or may not be surprised at just how much it takes to do some sort of modernization or design. Yeah, a lot of them are installing kitchens. They're installing bathrooms, right? Uh, that you know, and we're talking about marble bathrooms. We're not talking about you know something that's really 
you know, cheap and, and awful. They didn't put a porta potty in bedroom number seven no, in that no. cabinet or something. <laughs> yeah, nothing like that. And, you know, the kitchens, they're probably, if I had to guess, a kitchen would have to be designed almost something like uh, that would go into a food truck. You know, that type of design, something that's efficient, right. something that's small. Like a really tight galley. Yeah, because you want maximum space for your passengers. And, of course, mm. that's that's totally understandable. Hey, Ben, you know, we're talking about cost here. And on this website, this, uh, you know, a, a, uh, what is it? The A A P R C O site. Apco. 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 Something like that. Okay. Apercrow, ah, whatever. Uh, the info info for car buyers is one of the tabs that you can select on here. And I thought, well, okay, I'm I'm interested in. Let's say I'm interested in buying one. I'm not really, but let's say I am. There's a a pretty blunt statement here in the info for car buyers tab that says, um, well, there's a lot of information too. But one of the statements says, the venture into car ownership may feel a little daunting, but for those who have the time, talent, and treasure to pursue the dream, it can it can be very rewarding. To be blunt. The involvement with a private car entails a significant financial obligation. Geez, no kidding. I mean, we just told you about that. So prospective owners should have the financial wherewithal to afford the privilege. Also be aware that in spite of your dreams to the contrary, this should be a labor of love as very few are able to actually run a car as a money-making business enterprise. So you may go into this thinking like, well, you know, it's going to cost me a lot up front, but I'm going to make a pile of money off of this thing. Uh, oh, very, very few cars actually do that. They very, you know, very few make a profit. So you have to look at this as a, um, again, just like a, almost like you would a car hobby or something like that. You know, you may make your money out of this car someday, but you're going to have to hang on to it for a long, long time. And in this case, you're actually trying to rent it out. It's more like, you know, a cabin or something, a mm-hmm. mobile cavern, a cabin rather. Uh-huh. But uh, I don't know. It seems like they've got it right. I mean, I think a lot of people do jump in and say, I'm going to make money on this venture. You know they know better. They've seen over the decades that it's not necess- that's not necessarily the case. This is just something that's a labor of love, right? And to continue, before I get to one of my favorite notes in their in their excellent write up about the I guess rights and responsibilities of a car owner and the things you need to be aware of mm-hmm. before you consider purchasing a, a PV, I do want to say that the cost of Purchasing the car and the cost of renovating the car, whether it's a sleeper, which will be probably one of the more affordable options, mm-hmm. or a dome car, which would be a little more expensive. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about the types of cars later? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we got to. We must. And uh, so let's say you paid for all of that, right? Yeah. Now you need some place to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and that is also uh, not not free. <laughs> it's not included with the other price. Where do you park your 85-foot rail car? Wherever it wants. Right? <laughs> it's like the old elephant joke. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So storage can run $500 a month. Oh, 500, 500 a month. Okay, that's not cheap. But you know what? To be honest, I thought it might be a little bit more. Yeah? Yeah, I really did. That's, that's interesting. You know, it probably does vary too depending on what part of the world or what part of the country you're oh, in. Oh, sure. The scarcity of uh, of – Extra rail space, I suppose, right? Right. Yeah, right. That, that happens. And so uh, that with – we'll go into the cost to actually get this thing rolling in just a second. We'll talk about the different types of sleeper cars. But we want to maybe end this segment of initial cost by considering something else, not just the time, the talent, and the treasure, which is the way you know uh, they phrase it. Well, what else could there be? The emotional cost, dude, not necessarily to you. But they have a section in their introduction where they say you must have an understanding and supportive spouse. Oh, 
For most, I'm going to read a quotation here. For most people, time is a very valuable commodity. Owning a private varnish takes time during the restoration phase as well as during the operating phase. For married people with a family, a tolerant and understanding spouse is necessary. Not only will this project divert financial resources, but there will also be many, many days under, around, and in the car before a wheel is ever turned for that first trip. Oh, this sounds more and more like owning a yacht, doesn't it? Like <laughs> owning a big boat. Uh, you know, where you just pour money into it and time into it and you mm-hmm. get a little bit of enjoyment out of it. But, uh, you know, the, the sacrifice that you have to make on the family side of things yeah. sometimes is big. Well, I'm also – I'm chuckling a little bit because for anybody who's had their own pet project and I haven't been in a situation like that where I was married or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've – I've had some long-term girlfriends and I've had I've had projects that irritated irritated them like mm-hmm. my uh my lawnmower Edison phase <laughs> lawnmower Edison phase Yeah man I got to the point where I was buying uh I almost called them gutter lawnmowers but yeah. you know I was buying crappy yard sale lawnmowers that didn't work Sure and I was fixing them and then going back to my mower and trying to figure out what I was doing wrong with my mower. Oh. So in the process, you remember this a few years back, I right? remember you had a, a horrible lawnmower. Yeah. So yeah. in the pro- – I was just probably a horrible lawnmower Yeah, owner. I hate to break it to you, but that was a horrible lawnmower. Yeah. It yeah. was not – I mean, you get what you pay for. It. Yeah. But uh, so in the process of trying to fix my original mower, because I didn't want to – I hate – I, I hate the shift that our society is in where it's telling everyone to just buy something, throw it away, and buy something else. In the process of trying to fix my lawnmower, though, Scott, I fixed three other ones. Oh, I see. So you look at those to see what's going wrong with yours, right? Yeah. I understand. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a working version of what you should have. Yeah, well, I because those other three were broken when I got them. Yeah. And oh. they each had – one had um, – <laughs> One just needed a very simple replacement part. Another just needed a new pull cord. And then, like, I'm fixing these things and I, uh, oof, well, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting heated. I don't well, want to talk about You're it. learning. You were learning along the way, right? But you weren't experimenting with your primary source of, uh, uh, grass cutting, whatever, equipment. I don't know. Tyler, you might have to beat me on this. I took that little bastard apart and put it back together twice. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, each <laughs> our a, producer's laughing at me. It's a great lesson. I, uh, yeah. Well, you know what, Scott? I'm just gonna just gonna recuse myself. Go back to trains. But all <laughs> all to say that I understand the point of the sort of irritation that could occur because my girlfriend also politely, my girlfriend at the time politely intervened. N- the nicest person, and in the nicest way, she said, "You know." Our garage is a little small for you to be setting up your weird lawnmower <laughs> experimentation lab. Yeah, I thought it was more going to be along the line of, uh, you know, with the time and money and effort that you've put into, uh, you know, repairing this one, why didn't you just buy a new one that would work <laughs> for, you know, that's a very for, good the point. Next, for the next four years and when that one wears out, buy another one. But Man. see, that's what, exactly what you were railing against, what you were, what you were right. saying is wrong with society, right? <laughs> Oh like man! Make yeah. that lawnmower last the next thirty years. I was a little. I was honestly a little off the rails, but but 
this kind of uh, – that's, that's a very small thing in comparison to the idea of buying, restoring, and then operating your own private rail car. And, well, Scott, what do you think we should do at this point? Should we, should we dive into the different types of cars? Should we look at the, uh, the actual business of operating a car or should we pause for a word from our sponsor? Let's do the last thing. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Probiotics aren't a trend anymore. They're a mainstay in the health and wellness aisle of your favorite store. And Nature's Way Women's Probiotic Pearls are the easiest way to introduce a probiotic into your routine. I mean, they're just what they sound like. Adorable little pearls that couldn't be easier to take. But they still pack that probiotic punch. Each tiny pearl has one billion active cultures and protect against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort. And they actually support both digestive and vaginal health, so that's a win-win. And according to my little fact sheet here, they're designed with a triple-layer coating that protects each pearl from stomach acid, so they can make it all the way to your small intestine where they're needed most. You probably didn't think we'd be talking about the small intestine today, did you? Well, digestive health is kind of important. If you know, you know. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back, and we were just starting to uh, talk about the different types of cars. What was the other thing that you wanted to talk about? Uh, uh, actual like, operation oh, of yeah. private cars. Operation, sure, because we haven't really even talked about that. I mean uh, – um, where do you want to go first? How about let's talk about the types of cars? Because yeah. I'm kind of excited by this. There's a, there's a lot of different types of cars, more than you might actually guess. I mean, there's a lot of cars available for charter, but uh, they call them equipment types, of course, private, private varnish types. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of torn here, Ben, because there's different categories of different cars. And, and the way I see it, there's either, um, what, like seven different types or there's uh, – Ten different types. I can't. I can't figure out how to break these up into the right categories. But um, you could rent business cars, coaches, dome cars. There's uh, one category that's called lounge, cafe, and dining. That's the three types. Then there's observation cars. Then there's sleepers and lounges. And then there's sleepers alone. Uh, so there's a lot of different types. Now, I don't know exactly how in depth we want to go with each 
different type of vehicle here, but we can maybe describe each one. How about that? Yeah, that I mean, sounds just, perfect. Just briefly, right? Sure. So there's business cars. Now, these were designed by rail, railroad officials. Well, I'm not having a hard time with the word railroad, and that's a tough one to uh, get past on this episode, you know? Maybe just say rail. Uh, maybe rail. Yeah, I'll just go with rail. How about that? Yeah. So uh, so designed for use by rail officials. <laughs> That's much better. Thank you. I appreciate that. We'll we'll carry that throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah, I got you. If, if I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess the uh, the majority of these cars were from what they call the real heavyweight or pre-World War II construction period, kind of the opposite of the streamlined, sleek cars that we see from you know the 1960s, 1970s, those eras. And they come with the kitchen, crew quarters, dining room, seating for six to ten people, and, uh, you know, two or four bedrooms, depending on which model you have. Uh, they have a lounge. They often have an open brass rail platform at the back, and some of them you have fold-away beds um, in the dining room or lounge area. So these are like the old classic-style trains. I mean, you look at um, – oh, you know what this makes me think of when I see a, a business-class train? You know, the real squared-off kind of uh, the old style? Yeah. You remember the movie Polar Express? Uh huh. Yeah, it, yeah. It makes me think of the cars that you see on that animated film Polar Express. Wasn't Tom Hanks the voice of the many people of the train conductor? Yeah, the train conductor. I think the uh, the hobo that rode on the train. You know, the, uh, the oh, kind yeah. of ghost hobo. Yeah. Wasn't he? Wasn't he also the voice of Santa Claus? I believe. Oh wow! I think he was. Uh, he played. He played several. He was the. Con- yeah, you say the conductor already? Yeah, the conductor. Yeah. I, I uh, thought. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying though. When you're when you're saying that a business car calls to mind yeah that, yeah, that, yeah that 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 image if you want to think of a business car in that way yes uh there's also observation cars and these have oh these are maybe those are my what? favorite yeah these are really cool now these are meant to be attached to the rear end of a train the back end of a train and these have a rear lounge area rear facing windows and uh these are sometimes enclosed by round or they guess they can be squared if you want to but uh, usually round windows, which mm-hmm. are really, really interesting looking. So you can find some really interesting designs for the observation cars. Um, they often have an open rear platform, and uh, the forward part of the train, or forward part of that car, I should say, may contain like a business car arrangement or any other combination of like a lounge, a dining bar, even a sleeping space if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what's the next one or next type they have? They're sleepers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different types of sleepers. And I think we've kind of already covered sleepers. But, you know, those during the day, they they can convert from, you know, having separate compartments for a family, maybe a small family, mm-hmm. uh, into a sleeping arrangements where they have, you know, maybe one or two or even three beds in that er- same area, uh, the way we had talked about. And lots of different configurations, you know, for that, and whether it's a bunk space or, you know, just simply the, the chairs that fold down flat um, or benches, I should say, that fold down flat. Uh, then there's uh, the full lounge cars, which um, provide, you know, like a casual seating. They have tables. Sometimes they have a bar at one end, uh, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily a sleeping car. Then there's the dining car, which are, as you can imagine, have, you know, large kitchen area. Um, they have a table and seating. Sometimes up to 48 people can sit in a dining car at one time. Now, this is the kind of car that I went on my uh, – you know, it was like an evening dining experience. Mm-hmm. It was just a nothing but dining, like nothing but dining in that car. Um, so lots of people can be uh, there. It's a little tight. It's a little compact, you know. Yeah. But um, still, it was, it was an ex- exciting experience. It was, uh, you know, we weren't going anywhere really, just out and back, but it was fun. Uh, there are coach cars, uh, which is, I guess, like the high-density you know, business travel type car that you would normally think of, you know, with lots of – seen for lots of people. You know, we're talking about, you know, 60, maybe even more people, 70, 80 people. I don't know how many you can actually seat in a coach car, but I would guess it would be 60 or more. And then there's, there's another one here that we'll talk about that's really interesting to me. 
hmm. um, along with uh, what was that first one that we talked about that it was uh, kind of the observa- oh observation cars. That's right, um, the dome cars. Now these are the ones that have a second level on top. And these have a 360-degree panoramic view with a glass dome on top. You know, it might be broken up with some struts, you know, just for stability. But that's the that's the dream, right? Well, Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, it's really, really cool. Now, these are popular after World War II, and they often will call them Vista Dome. Vista Dome. Um, that's kind of like the marketing term that they use. But there are others that create these these types of vehicles. And really, these are the best ones for scenery as you pass through different areas. So you're able to see, you know, the sky and the all around you. I mean, just pretty much everywhere. It would um, probably be really cool to be traveling in one of those through a storm. Uh, oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah, it'd be nice. And then and then below, so you know that's the top level where you're up mm-hmm. in the dome area. Yeah. And then if you go down below, you know the rest of the car can be set up like a coach or a diner car or a lounge car or a sleeper or any of that. So this is like a combination vehicle, but the dome cars and the observation cars are probably among my two favorite. Mm-hmm. I think they just have the the neatest look. Now, certain Dome cars are so tall that they're unable to go into certain cities. So um, I think the clearance limits prevent uh, these types of vehicles from going into Boston or New York. Uh, but, like, if you want to go to Washington, I think that's ex- accessible on different tracks, you know, like via Pittsburgh and from areas in the south. You're able to get into um, the uh, uh, the Washington area. But, again, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's the only restrictions, really, is maybe there's certain height limits on certain tracks. But that's kind of the same thing with trucking. You know, you're unable to go certain routes because of certain heights. Mm-hmm. Um, there are superliners that I don't know if we've talked about, but there are superliners that are bi-level cars that are operated by different train companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go, you know, all over the United States as well. There's transition cars, which are sometimes needed to get from – one vehicle to the next, and I understand that, you know, the, the need for something like that. You know, like let's say you have an upper-level passenger or upper-level passage on one end of one car, then you might have a, uh, a lower standard level at the other end. These are the cars that have to go in between in order to make that or to facilitate that. Yeah. Um, there's heritage fleet cars. There's this goes on and on and on. There's a, there's a lot of different categories for these different these different vehicles. But the heritage fleet cars are are typically single level cars of post World War II construction. Um, that oftentimes you'll find that Amtrak owns a few of these, and they've they've upgraded some and use them primarily in, on the East Coast. So you know some of these are region specific for when uh, you know for for a certain type of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know we're maybe going. That's maybe even too in depth for the types. Of vehicles because you can go online and look at photos of these. You can look at you know interior, exterior. Some of them have floor plans drawn out. You know with mm-hmm. exactly what to expect when you get on board. You can find you know there's going to be six tables here and seating for during the day. You know for observation for 45 people or you know here's the kitchen area. Here's the bar. Um, it's just pretty. It's a pretty fascinating site to comb through. There's there's so much information there. Yes. So much available. Yeah. So let's say that you found the perfect car, something unique. For yourself uh, that you have paid for the renovation or maybe even done the renovation yourself. Mm-hmm. You have found the perfect place to store it location-wise and the perfect place to like transport it, to switch it on oh. to rail. Things are working out well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now all you need to do is figure out how much it costs to operate it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there's a, a laundry list of things that have to come along with this, right? So you have to have a crew typically, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have to pay for bartenders. You might have to pay for wait staff. Mm-hmm. You might or have just to- make your kids do it if you have kids. <laughs> or if, guess- you're, if your spouse is there, ask ask him or her if they want to uh, 
make a few bucks on the side. Is that right? <laughs> I no, don't know if that would go I, over. I don't know how that would go. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think uh, that would go over I, well. I can anticipate how that would go. <laughs> you probably don't want to take that approach, but uh, you might want to ask if they want to help out for the effort. How about yeah. that? Would you like to uh, like to contribute to the cause? Maybe that's how you would say it. But uh, yeah, you have to you have to hire a staff really because some of these things it's like it's again it's like owning a yacht. You have to uh, you have to pay for people to kind of man these different things unless you want to handle all that yourself and a lot of people don't want to do that you know like here's there's a bar over there but you have to mix your own drinks i mean that that would kind of be cutting a corner on this type of vacation i guess right well and also and that's if you own the thing that's right you know if you're if you're a guest if you're someone who's renting it then you would expect that kind of thing you would expect that it's already manned or or unless (laughs) that's something that's talked about up front that Mm -hmm. yeah there's a bar but there's going to be no bartender yeah there's a kitchen but you're going to be making your own food well these these operations or these types of experiences, even just these types of vehicles, they're not built to be run by one person. No. You know what I mean? No. So, yeah. So you have to have – you have to – let's assume you have to pay for some sort of crew, yeah, right? Yeah. Then there's uh, uh, there's storage costs, I guess. We've already kind of talked about mm-hmm. that. You said $500 a night sometimes? Yeah, $500 oh, a month. A month. That's right. Okay. Right. And, and I think there's nightly costs if you tow it to a new town. So let's say you're going to mm-hmm. stop in uh, New York for a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to there's be a charge associated with that. You know, we're talking, We were talking about long-term storage. Right. Kind of like right. its home base. Yeah, yeah. So the nightly costs can be hundreds of dollars a mm-hmm. night. And then if you are hooked up to an Amtrak train, and the reason we're talking about Amtrak again is because at least in the U.S., that's your best bet to actually operate your private car and either charter it or travel on your own. And they're uh, willing to do that. I mean, that's a, that's a company that they have a good relationship with and mm-hmm. allow them to uh, allow them to do this, to hook up on the, the, the trail, the tail end of a, a passenger train that's already headed out west yeah. uh, to a certain destination, whatever that may be. Uh, but you're going to pay not just the fee to get your car from your storage area to get, mm-hmm. you know, to wherever the train is embarking from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to also pay per mile. Right, two dollars and ten cents a mile for the first car. Uh, as of well, my source is a little old on this, and maybe more now. Mm-hmm. But as of two thousand twelve, it was about two dollars and ten cents a mile uh, for the first car, and a dollar seventy five for each subsequent car. So you get a discount if you're a multi car owner. Yeah. Oh boy. If you take your dome car and your sleeper. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> That's that, hard, to, hard to imagine that, isn't it? And that mileage calculation has to equal at least $1,000 oh, for okay. Amtrak to even bother hauling or picking you up. And that's after you pay your annual activation fee of $250. Okay. And there's membership uh, fees that go along with being part of the AAPRCO. So uh, you only know, have to uh, figure out what level of membership you want to attain. Now, there's different uh, – uh, different, different, uh, as I said, different levels, I guess. Um, I got a list here somewhere. I'll, I'll find it as we're talking, but, um, y- you can enter for as low as $90 if you're just kind of, uh, curious about the lifestyle of, of, you know, owning and operating a train. You want to be, uh, involved with it. It's kind of on a cursory level, you know. You, like the membership aspect? Yeah, you can be a member. Uh, it goes as low as 90 and I think it goes up to about $500. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the low end was like $90 if you offer a, a trade or you have a business that, you know, services the trains. So let's say that you have a um, a business that, that, I guess for lack of a better way to say it, rents out employees. You know, um, you're right. a uh, – 
um, a labor providing service for bartenders that, that staff these things on these cross country tours or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kitchen staff or maybe you are a supplier that, you know, provides uh, groceries, you know, or something yeah. like that or whatever it is. Maybe it's a cleaning service mm-hmm. that allows you to, um, you know, that $90 allows you not only to get in kind of on the inside you know, with all these people that own cars, mm-hmm. it also allows you to advertise in their magazine, you know, in the... Uh, in private uh, varnish. In, yeah, exactly, in private varnish, and also on the site that, you know, says, uh, you know, we'll put you in contact with the right people for your mm-hmm. type of business. That's that's the $90 entry fee. And then there's a few steps up. You can get all the way to the $500 range, which are owners that are certified by, um, you know, car owners that are certified by Amtrak, and then there's uh-huh. car owners that are not certified by Amtrak. And, you know, there's different levels along the way, about four or five different levels, levels that you can attain in the AAPRCO, and those come along with the opportunity to sit on the board of directors and to be, you know, considered an associate within Mm -hmm. that division. So, again, that's where the the government hierarchy stuff comes in as well. Quick question. Yeah. Would you and Tyler and I have to own rail cars to be certified by Amtrak? I think so. I think you absolutely do, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, because, okay, here's what I was wondering, because if... If it were somehow possible, just hear me out on this. Yeah. If it were somehow possible, I would love to snag that certification just to have it. I love certifications, man. You know this about me. I do. We know it from the Twitty City comment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, if you are listening, let me know. Uh, let me know, uh, friends of Amtrak, if there's something I can do without actually having to buy a uh, a rail a private rail car. Let me know if I can get somehow train certified. Yeah, you know rail what the, certified. you know what this comes down to is uh, Ben wants a badge. That's yeah, what it is. yeah, yeah. It's a uh, <laughs> he wants a badge or a plaque he can hang on the wall. Something exactly, like that. Yeah, exactly. I get it. I understand. And now we, that your desk is next to mine, I'm going to start hanging those things. We are. We haven't mentioned that we're, uh, we're we're sitting right next to each other in the office now. That's something brand new. Yeah, it's an uh, it's an adjustment period. We'll see how this works out. I mean, uh, you know, you know what they say about good fences, right? Yes, yeah. they make good neighbors. Yes, exactly. Right. Actually, no, well, I think that's the thing I said to you on the first day. <laughs> I think so, too. I completely respect your boundaries. All right. So um, what would we call our car? I mean, it, it seems kind of silly to call it the car stuff car, I guess. I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, it's a train, right? Yeah. All right. So what would we call it? Because every one of these cars, if you go on you know, the website that uh-huh. we've mentioned – Every single car has its own name, and it, and it could be something like you know the Cannonball. It could be Federal. Mm-hmm. It could be the Montana, Northern Sky. I mean, I've got a, lot, a whole list of kind of interesting names, and a lot of them are historically based. Yes, that's right. I, I would assume that the Cannonball is from the Wabash Cannonball. It must be right. And you know, there's one called the Glass Slipper. I don't know what that really has to do with. And there's Pacific Sands, and you know, there's all these really interesting names, but they all have a unique name, and I find that pretty fascinating. Um, so I don't know what we would call our, our car. Do you have, a, do you have any suggestions? Or maybe, maybe listeners could suggest what we would call our car. But don't go with car stuff. I mean, because, you know, it's a, it's a train. It's a train car. Yeah, that was going to be my guess. Uh, train car stuff? Car? <laughs> no, okay. I'm garbage at this. Yeah, yeah I'm never right, going couldn't, to. I couldn't name a boat either. If I had to name a, a yacht or a boat, uh-huh. I think I would have a very difficult time with that. Because it's, it's pretty permanent, right? Uh, sinking feeling? <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, oh man, there are some you great know, boat names out there. In my, the, my yeah. father-in-law's boat. What's it called? Last Call. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> That's good. Pretty good. Yeah, not it's bad. Dramatic. Huh? I like it that. It is. Yeah. So I think Scott, I think you're on the right track, uh, folks. Write into us. Uh, you know, we always say our email at some point in the show. Uh, we're car stuff at howstuffworks.com. Just write in and let us know what you think a good name 
for our train car would be if it's not going to be car stuff, which I agree is kind of weird. It's yeah. like naming a dog Tiger. Doesn't yeah. quite fit. I got it. Um, Unless it's striped. And now this also makes me think, and we're not going to have the answer for Okay, fair enough, Scott. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to have the answer for this in this episode, but it makes me wonder if it's it would be possible for people to buy uh, and jointly own a private car. I think it would be. Why like, not? I like mean, if we all took up a collection at work. I think it's possible, but again, it wouldn't be a money maker. It would be something that everybody's just you know continually throwing money at. I think. So would it be a glorified timeshare for us then? Uh, I think it would be a far more expensive timeshare than uh, than what we would you know initially think that we were getting into. I think that's the way it works out for a lot of a lot of owners. What will we need the car I mean, though? I guess you just you just get into the uh, you just get to the idea at the point where you say, I know I'm losing money on this, but again, this is something that I truly love. I'm a train fan. I'm a, I, I love trains. Right. I want to. Be around them. I like the you know the the the, uh, the lifestyle on the rails. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's something I, I really want to be involved with more than just you know going to uh, you know Opryland and riding the train. I don't even know if they have one, but wherever riding a train around um, Dollywood or you know Cedar Point or sure. Kings Island or whatever. It's it's far greater experience than that. I mean, some of the uh, the historic lines that run around the United States. I mean, those are a little bit. Better, you know, like where you get like a three-hour ride, you know, out into the mountains somewhere, and sure. you know they put you on one of those uh, trestles or whatever it was that you know turns the the, yeah. uh, the engine around and then they haul you back the same way. That's kind of fun, mm. uh, but but again, this is something where you would actually be traveling. You'd be seeing things along the way. Having you can invite friends, colleagues, whatever mm-hmm. you want mm-hmm. along with you. I mean, and in some cases, you know, forty. Now a lot of them don't. You, you can't have them overnight, I guess, if it's if it's that type of trip, you know, where you're taking forty people. A lot of these sleepers have a um, a day night capacity. So the, a lot of cars, uh, most of the cars will list, you know, that you can have forty five people during the day. The nighttime capacity, or uh, you know, the number it sleeps, I guess, if you want to put it that way, it's gonna be lower, like, right? Yeah, twelve or something. Okay, or, that and, makes sense. You know, some of the uh, some of the passenger vehicles, the business travel, or not business. I can't remember which one was the standard, mm-hmm. um, you know, travel car. Some of those will seat 60-plus people. They don't sleep any. So, you know, it's just strictly a daytime vehicle. And that's one that, you know, you can all gather in and, mm. uh, and take a, a short trip, you know, either there or back, and, uh, and that's about it. But some of the sleeper cars, there are some that will sleep, you know, 24 people at sure. night or 30 people at night. Pretty big ones. Yeah. I mean, but during the day, you know, you can have 45, 50 people on board. Hey, so, Scott, I think we should add another piece of information for everyone here. You might have – heard this episode and um, said, yeah, this sounds well and good, but I'm pretty, uh, I'm a pretty sharp investor. I don't jump in feet first all the time or head first or mm-hmm. whichever is the worst way to jump into things. <laughs> uh, I, to, I don't belly flop into things. Uh, I want to try this out before I buy one. You can indeed charter one according to the spokesperson um, that we got a lot of this information from. You you can charter a train trip for as little as two thousand dollars per day, uh, or up to ten thousand. Yeah, the, it really depends on the kind of train you want, where you want to go. He, uh, Patrick Henry, uh, owns a public relations business, and he actually uses his train to entertain clients, which to me seems like that works out really well for him. I want to talk about one of those in just a moment, but there's a few things I want to, I want to cover just before we kind of get to the wrap up of this yeah, episode. Yeah. How about that? Because there's there's a private train that I want everybody to take a look at because it's over the top decorated, and I think uh, people will appreciate it. Um, 
I wanted to talk about the convention. We mentioned the convention. So yeah. let's say that you're, uh, you, you know, you're excited about, you know, the train lifestyle and you want to go check it out, but you don't really want to join anything yet and you just want to kind of see what it's all about. Uh, they have this convention that we had mentioned, I think, uh, earlier in the episode. And it started out, the very first one was back in uh, Chicago, and that was in 1978. Uh, this is the very first convention for this group, for the AAR, or AAPRCO. I'll get that right one of these days. Uh-huh. Uh, 1978, that was the first one, and there were only three cars at that first convention. I think you said that earlier in the uh, in the episode. Well, by the time we get to 2016, there are 21 cars that participate in, the, in that convention, which happened, I think it was like a one-way special convention train or something that traveled from Denver to Spokane. So it was kind of a on-the-road type of thing, right? It wasn't just one city. Mm-hmm. Um, they traveled between two different places, so up to 21. Now, I think I've seen numbers for conventions in between where the number went as high as nearly 40. So the number got really high at some point. It's kind of dropped off a little bit, but not much. And if you were excited about this and want to see them now, if you want to go in 2018, uh, you have a little while to plan for this. It happens in Duluth, Minnesota, and that is uh, September 20th through the 22nd in uh, 2018. So that's a Thursday through a Saturday. Again, September 20th through 22nd, that's 2018. And I think there's going to be a, um, a convention special train that's going to be parked in the downtown area right next to something called the Union Depot and the Lake Superior Lake Superior Railroad Museum. Having trouble with that word still, Ben. Railroad. Lake Superior <laughs> Rail Museum. How about that? There we go. Um, and uh, I, I guess the, that train eventually kind of peels off of the rest of the convention and you know everybody goes somewhere else. But um, this information is pretty recent, too. It's, uh, it was updated November 9th of this year, so you know it's going to happen next year. Some of the details might change along the way, so keep checking on the site if you want to. But just get out and see some of these amazing antique vintage vehicles and i think you'll be really impressed i mean maybe even enough you know impressed enough to uh you know maybe uh dip your toe into the waters a little bit maybe join one of these and and see about you know chartering one Mm -hmm. i know they're expensive because they've compared it to kind of a high-end cruise cost i suppose and i think the two thousand to seven thousand per day that's for certain trips. I think there's some that you can get an entire trip for, you know, $2,000. Right. What? You can also go th- – yeah, you can go through uh, some different agencies that work with private varnishes mm-hmm. uh, to take a, an entire charter trip with a package price. So I think there's one to New Orleans that is around 2900 something a person, but that includes meals. That's the entire trip. Yeah. You know, that's several stops. Several stops. Yeah. And I think there's one that goes to the uh, Washington, D.C. Cherry Blossom Festival, I think. But, you know, that site that we've mentioned, we keep talking about the, the site, but mm-hmm. if you go there, they've got all of this information and there's upcoming travel opportunities that are listed there. So if you want to, you know, considering doing something like this for your family or just alone or with some friends or whatever, yeah. coworkers, anything, it's fun. Taking us. To, yeah, to, taking us. I mean, they start around two thousand dollars for the whole trip. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's an opportunity there. Now, I, I think Ben, we've probably covered most of what I wanted to talk about today. Is there anything that we've forgotten before we get to this really unusual car that I want people to look at? I think at this point we've done our best to to set this up to provide the the lay of the land or the stretch of the rail. Okay, um, and I would only add that. Uh, if you invite us along, uh, if you invite Scott and Tyler and I along on a on a private varnish adventure, uh, that we will we will contribute uh, by bringing uh, uh, witty banter. Witty banter, maybe not witty. Ma- okay, just, just banter. banter. 
There we go. That's our contribution. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no I'll bring cups. No. <laughs> the red solo cups? Yeah. Okay. Did you know those are a big deal outside of America? I did not. The, like, people in different countries love red solo cups. Oh, no kidding. And don't think they're real. Now, I could see, like, I would show up with, like, a bag of chips and just, like, throw it on the counter, like, there you go. We are terrible people. Yeah, it'd be like a, my potluck contribution. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure that it's a potluck situation. I'm sure this. it yeah. is. Yeah, bring, yeah, a, bring a crock pot. Okay. So, so tell us about this uh, unique car you found. This is a lot more, like a lot higher class than what we were just talking about. Okay. Like I'm not bringing chips and throwing them on the counter for this uh, for this type of thing. But there is something called the Patron Tequila Express. And if you've never seen the Patron Tequila Express, Please take a look at it the moment you have a device in your hand that you're able to search something like this because the interior of this is um, – oh, boy. it's Whoa. it's it's Would you say it's overdone or would you say that it's just right, Ben? It's a lot. It's okay. a lot for me. It's it's pretty. Bu- it's a pretty busy interior, maybe. Oh and, yeah, uh, that's the word. Yeah, busy. It's a busy interior. It looks comfortable. This is, uh, as you might guess, this is a um, a car that is owned by the guy that owns Patron Tequila, and apparently the guy at some point in his life he's been homeless twice. Now he's the owner of this uh, this billion dollar business. Uh, he's worth like four billion dollars, I think. This guy, uh, um, John Paul Deoria. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's his name. Yeah, and not only that, he was the guy that um, helped found. Um, I want to say that it was a, uh, a hair care company, uh, John Paul Mitchell Systems, which he founded in 1980 with uh, with hairdresser Paul Mitchell for something like seven hundred dollars. And so you know how I mean that's still you know, popular and and, and, yeah. and and lucrative for him. But he also owns Patron Tequila. And so, again, this guy's worth $4 billion now. He's about 67 years old at the time when this was written. That was last year. So it's pretty pretty recent. Um, this this car, this uh, Patron Tequila Express, was actually a Gulf Mobile and Ohio Railroad car. It's car number 50. I think they only made 2,000 of this type of car. But it's a 1927 vintage rail car that was restored and I mean meticulously restored. And if you look at it inside, it's very ornate. It's got a lot of uh, wood carvings. It's got um, you know tapestries. It's uh, I think they said that it was um, uh, it, it is uh, what is it? It's textiles. It's um, you know rare wood carvings that come from uh, the Maharaja. So uh, you can get in a sense of what this is like. I mean, and it hides modern things behind the vintage things. So let's say that you've got a wood panel that slides out of the way that was, you know, a vintage wood carving. Yeah. Uh, it hides a, a large flat screen TV. Oh, that's Something cool. like that, right? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of history with this car. I mean, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wrote in this. Uh, Huey P. Long, who was, um, I think he was he was known as the Kingfish as well. He was the, uh, the governor of Louisiana back in 1928 to 1932, and he was also a Senate member. Uh, around 1932, but then he was assassinated in 1935 when he made a run for the presidency. So uh. there's some history there with this uh, Huey P. Long. I had to look up who that was. Uh, Clark Gable has been on that train at some point in the past. And now, I guess, there's a, a, um, a chance you'll see Dan Aykroyd on the train. Yeah, the actor Dan Aykroyd is a friend of the owner of Patron Tequila. So uh, oftentimes he'll be cruising along with him there as a personal you know, friend. He's uh, just in the entourage. Well, he's in yeah, the crew. He kind of is. Like, I guess he's, you know, sipping tequila shooters or whatever he's doing on the back of the train as it's traveling along. And uh, there's, there's actually a funny photo online that you can see of Dan yeah. Aykroyd. It looks like he might have uh, might have had a couple. Might have had a couple. Might yeah. have had a couple before the photo. You see that photo. weird vest? I saw that. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got some kind of weird vest with lots of patches sewn yeah. on it. And uh, yeah, it may look looks like he maybe uh, was just stepping off of the train at that point. <laughs> if you if you know what I mean. Right. Um, but yeah, there's there's. 
a, just a crazy amount of detail on this train. It's really interesting to look at. And again, this is probably one of the most ornate versions that I've seen. Um, oh, you know what? Who owned the car before this? The guy, the guy named um, Isaac Tigret, and Isaac is the guy that owned um, Hart or owns. I don't know if he still does or not, but um, the House of Blues and Hard Rock Cafe. So they think that you know he was kind of inspired by owning this this train car that he traveled around in to create those venues. Yeah, uh, it's just a, it's a fascinating vehicle and just one example. If you go to on to that website that we talked about again, you know the um, uh, what was it the aaprco dot com website. Yeah, there's tons of photographs of every one of these cars with all the names. And you can really investigate what they're all about and the different types of cars. And I am so fascinated by the interiors of these vehicles i think it's the second i think it's maybe the second or third most fascinating thing to me about trains the first being of course the actual locomotive yeah gotta ride one gotta hop on a train at some point scott these things are like a window into uh, america's past really yeah they really are it's 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 just like you're you're riding in a museum piece in a lot of Mm -hmm. a lot of situations uh so check them out they're really they're, they're fascinating to look at and uh Let's see. Let's get a, a quick uh, train whistle cue. Perfect. You know what that sound always means now that we just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? It means that it's time for us to head out, Scott. We've yeah. got to hop back on and uh, ride the rails. Yeah. Hopefully as paying passengers and not hobos yet. Uh, you can find us in the meantime on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And we just started an Instagram. We are CarStuffHSW or some variation thereof. And each and every one of those platforms, that's where you can find your fellow Car Stuff listeners. You'll see a lot of folks uh, sharing their own car stories uh, or checking out some just really bizarre stuff. Thing, some really bizarre things, right? Yeah. Uh, and you can see some stories that Scott and I have found that for some reason or another have not made it to the air on the show. But most importantly, we're telling you this because we want to hear from you. Do you own a private varnish? Will you accept payment in banter, red solo cups and potato chips? What about Ben Bucks? You know – what happened to Ben Bucks? I'm still – uh, look, Ben Bucks are blowing up, man. <laughs> ben Bucks are blowing up and – An alternate currency. A legitimate alternate currency yeah. accepted at several locations throughout my mom's house. <laughs> We're in negotiations <laughs> for the kitchen. Uh, no, oh, I don't want to – Sign me up. I don't want to involve Ben Bucks in the uh, private varnish enterprise. Okay. Because, you know, I don't want it to be a Bitcoin situation yeah. when, like, one Ben Buck equals, like, a million U.S. Yeah, dollars. The economies could tumble. The economies could tumble, right? But the railroads uh, travel on. Yeah. There we go. I that like was, it. Oh, that was, not, that was not my best work, but I appreciate it. Okay, fine. We'll do it. Ben Buck's banter, red solo cups, or bags of chips. If you will accept those for payment, we will gladly ride your private train car. Uh, but we also want to hear your stories, your experiences with the rails. Uh, let us know what you think. And if you don't care for social media, we get it. You can write to us directly. We are. Car stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 
the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.